Thank you for downloading this podcast from Pardes, North America. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Alex Israel and Tova Leah Nachmani in conversation on Parashat Vayakhel. If you thought about studying at Pardes this summer, please visit our website pardes.org.il for more information about the summer program and also the Pardes Learning Seminar. Here are two opportunities to return to the Beit Midrash and learn with some of your favorite Pardes faculty. And now, here is Rabbi Alex Israel and Tova Leah Nachmani. Shalom. Welcome to the Pardes Beit Midrash. My name is Alex Israel. I'm the Director of Community Education and the Summer Program here at Pardes. And I have the pleasure of sitting with veteran teacher Tova Leah Nachmani. Hi, Tova Leah. Hi, Alex. And we're going to be discussing Parsha Bayakel, which is a really exciting Parsha. And we've each come with different ideas, which we're going to discuss together. And uh, I'm going to ask Tobalea if she'll open. Tobalea, what do you have to share with us sure. from our Parsha Tashavua? Okay, I'll open the, the very, very beginning of the Parsha uh, that starts with Moshe bringing together all of Adat B'nai Israel, the entire Israelite community. It's one of the only times that um, that... And Moshe brings together everyone, everyone, everyone. And he says to them something very specific. We think he's going to start by talking about the Mishkan and let's get going with the Mishkan, but instead, in the tabernacle, but instead he says to them, These are the things that God commanded to do them. On six days, you should do all of your work. No, you should do your melacha, your creative work. But on the seventh day, on Shabbat, Yelachem Kodesh, Shabbat Shabbaton Ladonai will be for you holy, a special Shabbat for God. Anyone who does Melacha on the day of Shabbat, it's a creative activity that's forbidden by the Torah, will be put to death. And after that, it says, One should not, it's forbidden to light a fire throughout all of your settlements on the Sabbath day. And we can understand this as something very technical, that of course we're not lighting a fire on Shabbat. That's something, you know, we, we bring in Shabbat by lighting candles. That's the first thing we do in this, I should say, it's the last thing we do to finish the six days of the week. We light candles and the last act that we do is and lighting first, the And the first act we do of the week is we light the Havdalah candle. That's right. And so really Shabbat is bookended by acts of lighting fire. And we have to ask the question, really, what is the, why, why do we have to refrain from fire then during the Shabbat? Why is that so important? And Shabbat, I think, is um, the idea of fire is that the way that we use fire is how we, how humanity uh, gains mastery over the natural elements because the chemical changes that happens when you put something, for example, you put a cake in the oven. So the only way it can really congeal and become a cake and not a, you know, uh, a bowl of <laughs> exactly is by putting it in the fire. The fire changes the chemical uh, construction of it also. Um, and we know that fire is um, right. It, it's heating. You know, it's a good good thing to think about in the winter time because we want that we're looking for heat and light. And so fire has so many positive, um, uh, so many positive characteristics. And, and and we look for fire, and we look to to have that warmth in our life and the light. But fire is also ambivalent. There's a very ambivalent character to uh, fire, right? Fire symbolizes, um, or fire, before we go to the symbolism even, fire also destroys. Fire can get out of control, right? And we know that there are many things in our life that can get out of control. 
And here, I want to take a, the idea of fire to a place which is very, very symbolic, and where the Hasidic masters took this to a place of really uh, of deep symbolism within our own lives. Um, fire symbolizes, in literature, for sure, it symbolizes our deepest desires, our passions, um, and the things we get excited about. You can even think about the color of, like, the color red, right? That it's all about excitement and movement, and it's right. It's about um, uh, about passion, about things we get ex get um, um, motivated, excited about. Um, and we know that fire is very, very important, and we need if we if we want to set goals for ourselves. I try to set goals myself once a month on Rosh Chodesh. Wow. And one of the coaches that I um, that I follow on YouTube. Um, <laughs> Um, he said, if you don't have a why for what you want to accomplish, you won't do it. Right. You've really got to feel the motivation. You've got to feel the fire. Right? You have to know what it is that you want to accomplish. Because if you just say, well, I actually would like to be, you know, I don't know, learning three halachot a day, or I want to be, I don't know, exercising for, so great. But what, but why do you want to be doing it? And it's until we really understand our motivation, are able to express it, able to articulate it, that we actually, we actually don't do it. We know that fire um, as uh, we were talking about before we started recording here, that uh, we, you know, we say fire has really both elements. That if you um, we need fire to power an engine of a car, and at the same time, if your engine is on fire, you're in big, big trouble. So really, with the with the um, uh, with the Hasidic masters here, and really on the level of drash, are saying that when you have an a, an emotion which is very very strong, and they use the example of anger. Um, that that anger can be something which is so destructive that it can ruin, it can totally ruin um, our relationships. And Shabbat is a time, I think, when we have dreams, we have aspirations. I know, like, we cook a really nice meal and the ship and the, and the table's um, set so nicely and everything is cleaned up, in front, right? And so we have, we have these aspirations and it's so easy, at least for me, to come into Shabbat, to sit down at the Shabbat table and to look around and to feel disappointment or anger how could right somebody spilled somebody this right or the toys are strewn all around the grant kids are over and that right there it's hard it, it, it's it's something that we really can't i have to say Tovala, i just find it difficult to believe you getting angry about things like that i've known you for a long time <laughs> but i'll believe you're saying it <laughs> yes i also get angry and the anger expresses itself in different ways but really this idea of shabbat and shabbat is supposed to be the time of shalom time of shalom by the time that right lighting candles really we light candles in order to bring shalom, the atmosphere of lighting candles. Um, if you think about just right, the candlelight, if we didn't have all the electricity burning right in every room of our house, so the candles really would give off an even right, an even like a, a, a more powerful glow. Um, and that glow is what we're supposed to be feeling in our hearts. So um, I think that that's the connection to Shabbat. So one last thing about this is that in the um, a, in Kabbalistic literature on Parshat Tetzavei, it says that Kola Koes, anyone who's angry, Nishmato Hakdosha Mistaleket Mimeno, that our Neshama, that the holiness of our Neshama is uh, taken away from us. Right? That there's something about that anger that we have to be so sometimes say, Oh, I'm not an angry person, right? Alice, you never see me be angry. You don't even look at me and say, Oh, how could she be angry? But there's anger takes expression in many different different ways. And I think we have to be extra careful all the time, but on, on, we have to be careful all the time. We have to be extra careful on Shabbat because Shabbat is a time that we dream and imagine some kind of a ideal existence. And it's so easy to have get that messed up. It's so, so interesting what you're saying here because um, you know, this. You're, you're basically expressing the idea that we need to regulate emotions, that every good thing 
can sometimes go beyond its bounds and then it becomes destructive or dangerous or maybe even in the case of what you said with anger, it sort of overtakes our real self. And when I'm thinking about this two-sidedness, this ambivalence, use the word, um, I'm thinking about our Parshat Shavua, which is about the tabernacle, the Mishkan. And that's also true about the Mishkan. The Mishkan is a home for God. It's a home for the Jewish people. It's a center for the Jewish people. And that's an incredible tool. It's a place where we can have a religious experience. And yet there were times when we didn't know how to use it properly. And the temple became corrupt or the temple became used by kings or misused, abused. So much so that in our tradition, the way we look at it is the temple didn't just happen to be destroyed. It was an act of God. It was, it was a divine act that we had sort of abused this great tool. And now um, it, was, it was removed because we hadn't, hadn't known how to use it. Right. It was a natural consequence, right? Just natural like you say, you can, you can, right? So everything's two-sided. And I'm thinking also about our, our synagogues, our shuls. You know, we've had a period where we've sort of been on, on ice. <laughs> we've had COVID and we haven't all been able to get together in our synagogues. It's made me really think about what are the good sides of shul and what are the bad sides of shul or the uh, sides that, you know, we can sort of reinvent it. And maybe this is actually a time now that we've had a bit of time with a bit of distance, a bit of time to think where we can like even look at our communities and our own institutions, our own mishkan and say, how can we find the right uh, balance? Where can we find the right way to, to have the positive without the negative, to let the excesses, you know, try and remove them and try and focus in on the positive, the positive fire. I think that's true of our homes also. I think every day that I leave home and go to work, I come home, you know, to, to a new home, to a new opportunity. And before I walk in the door, right, I have an opportunity to think about what am I bringing with me, in, right? What am I bringing through the doorway? So important. Wow. Okay. Amazing. Alex, what are you bringing? <laughs> what am I bringing? So one of the experiences of anybody who reads Parshat Vayakel and, and, and next week's Parsha, Parshat Pikudei, is a little bit of deja vu. Because we a few weeks ago, we read Parshat Truman, Tzavir, uh, Exodus chapter 25, all the way to 31. And it describes in very rich and painstaking detail all the all of the description of the construction of the tabernacle, the Mishkan. And now we get to chapter 35. <laughs> we repeat it all over again. It's all repeated. And we're like, haven't I heard this before? We always have this tradition that the Torah is really expedient with its words. And here it seems to be quite luxurious in terms of just repeating everything. So the question is why we needed to, why we need to repeat it. Um, I heard some years ago, a, a really interesting interpretation uh, from one of my teachers, uh, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein of Blessed Memory. And he noted that the way that Shemot, the book of Exodus, is structured is that we have the story of the Mishkan and the instruction for the Mishkan. And then we have the great sin, the Egel, the, the, the golden calf, the rebellion against God, the betrayal, we might call it, where we worshipped idols, we were told, you know, not to have any other gods, and we take another god. And then we come back to the Mishkan. And he told a fascinating story. Bear with me with this story. <laughs> um, imagine a young couple, they're engaged, they're setting up their home, they're really excited. 
and um, they're sitting there. They ordered a new kitchen. They're sitting there with a carpenter. They're all excited, and he's showing them the different uh, woods and the different formicas and the, the handles. And they're giggling a little bit, and they're choosing, and they're dreaming about what their home will be together. It's all very exciting. And they sign the contract, and they pay the carpenter, and they say, you know, when's it going to be in? He said, just in time for when you get back from your honeymoon. Okay, so they go on. They get married. It's a great wedding. They go on their honeymoon. And um, stranger, stranger than one could imagine, right? On the honeymoon, right? One of the couple sitting on the beach meets another person and has an affair on their honeymoon. Goes off with somebody else. Can you imagine such a thing? I don't think we can. But let's just bear with me for the story. The couple have just got married. And indeed, this is, you know, realized. And they say, okay, this is a huge hiccup in our relationship. This is a rupture in our relationship. But we're not going to give up on our marriage now. So they say we're going to work on it. And we're going to do, need to do a lot of work. But So you can imagine they fly home together. And they're not as loving on the way home. There's a stony silence. They come home in the taxi, and who's waiting for them? Mr. Carpenter. He's like, look at the fat, look at the look at the wood, look at the handles, look at the it's all so beautiful. And they're like, thank you, thank you, goodbye. <laughs> There's no joy. What what's that's the mashal, that's the parable. What's the nimshal? The Jewish people have built a home together with God. They made a Mishkan, a residence. The word Mishkan from the word Shachen, right? We want to be in Shechinut, we want to be together with God. And then, right, we, we get married to God, uh, we, we hear the Torah, and, and we go, and then Moshe's away, and suddenly Israel misbehaves, and we take other gods. And we would think that this is almost irreparable. We would think that the relationship will never be the same. We can't go back to that innocence of love. So look what Sefer Shemot does. It describes the whole tabernacle. Then it gives us the rupture, the great betrayal. And God's forgiveness. This is where, just in the chapter before, we heard Hashem, Hashem, El Rachum V'Chanun, God's great forgiveness. And now we repeat back the entire narrative as if to say, it's the same cabinetry, it's the same handles, it's the same faucets, it's the same everything. What, what, am, I, what am I really trying, trying to say? When we look with a bird's eye view on um, the book of Shemot. We came out of Egypt. We received the Torah. We made a sort of pact with God. We, we, we became God's people and we established a home together. And then we do idolatry. There couldn't be a, a greater sin. It's the second of the, the Ten Commandments. And we might think that there are things that are unforgivable. But here's the big surprise it's not unforgivable. We can move ahead. And the book ends with us actually Moses building the Mishkan, building the tabernacle, and in fact God's presence being manifest inside this holy this holy abode. And what I find really remarkable is that what I think Shemot is saying is that as we build a presence for God, as we sorry, as we build a relationship with God, God isn't so naive to expect that we won't sin. Sometimes we really mess up, and sometimes we mess up royally. It's really bad. And God's almost promising us that, I'm not sure whether I can say it this much, but however badly we mess up, maybe I can really say that, yeah. however badly we, make, we mess up, there's a way of healing it. There's a way of moving forward. And I think this is a profound message. 
you know, we might expect we come out of Egypt, everything's good. And then in the next book, we'd have the, we'd have the, no, it's in the same book, right? It's almost like it's built in. We're human. To be human is to err, is to make mistakes, things that we regret. We look back and we think, what the heck were we doing? And God says, and you know what? We can pick up the pieces somehow. And I think that's really, to my mind, first of all, it gives me hope <laughs> for mistakes I've made in my life um, and things that sometimes we, we really regret. And it gives this very, very Jewish notion of it's never too late to improve. It's never too late to heal. It's never too late to, to work on yourself. I like that. And, and what, it, what, what that it says to me is a few things about the Mishkan. First of all, the Mishkan is saying you have to have a structure. You have to have a place where that channels your desires, your passion, your fire, your energy. You have to have a place. There has to be something. It's not like that that couple couldn't just come back and, right? And I mean, the fact that they were coming back to build a home to something which is very concrete and very, right, the nuts and bolts and architecture and, and, and pieces of wood. There's something about that which which I think like helps them, gives them gives them a place to, um, a, as it were, to, to channel what it is that they've been through. And again, it's not about erasing it, but in fact, at the golden calf, I want to take a look and see in uh, chapter 32, last week's Torah portion, chapter 32, uh, verse six, what were they actually doing at the golden calf? You could say they were worshiping idols. They were bowing very quietly at the right. No, that's not what they were doing. It says, they got up first thing in the morning, right? The very next day when they had this golden calf, and they were giving all kinds of uh, sacrifices, all different kinds of sacrifices, the best kinds of sacrifices. They were eating, and they were drinking, they were dancing, playing around. They were like, they were, they had all this, they, they, they went into it with all of their energy, with all of their, 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 with, uh, with all the energy, energy that they had with all their passions and all their desires. And, and now the Torah isn't just saying now, okay, you have to like put that fire out. Oh, wow. Right. It's saying you can't have a fire on Shabbat in terms of, right, the negative parts of fire. But does the Torah want us to live without fire, without passion, without one of my teachers once said, the Torah really does not care how you feel. It only cares about what you do. True or false? Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. But I think Torah does care about what we how we feel as well as what we the what vast we do. majority of the Torah think about just the Ten Commandments. It's like do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. It's sure. really the vast majority of the Torah is like the Mishkan. Build the house, build the building, like just do do the right things. But really what we need also is to know that if we just do the right things, like what you said about synagogue, I could just go through the motions and be doing the right things or live in my house and be doing the going through the motions with my family. But really we do need the fire. Well the you're fire. right because the we we build a house to live inside it. It's funny, we spend a lot of time building a house, but we actually, then the big question is, how are we going to live within it? Right? And that's, right. that's what you're saying. Right. So whether it's anger or whether it's passion or anything else, um, right, we have to be be careful. In Masechah Pesachim, it says, in the Talmud, it says, that any person who gets angry, and I think that that's true, like you said, about emotions that get out of control. Any emotion that gets out of control, what happens? Like we lose our, our common sense. We lose our good sense of really what the right thing is to do. Um, you know, one of the one of the interesting things that you sort of reminded me was the way that the people all donated their earrings and their nose rings and their gold to the golden calf. And then we suddenly see them here in the very next parsha. 
right? Donating all of their precious things to build this mishkan. In other words, it's almost a tikkun. They were you, you, they weren't snuffing out that energy. They were channeling that energy. They were directing that energy in a in a very positive direction. And I think Rabbi Sachs also talks about the idea that this was a collaborative project. That when people maybe the problem was that Moses left the camp, and they were I wouldn't quite say bored, but they didn't have a direction. And now what does he say? You know, yalla, let's let's all let's all build together, right? Let's build something as a nation. Let's engage in constructive home building. Right. And everyone has a part when there's a right when there's a rupture also, it's not one person that's at fault. Everybody has a part in it. Wow, yeah. And everybody has to do a collective rebuilding in uh, when it comes to Shalom Bayit. Uh, even if it looks like I'm okay and everybody else is the one they're the ones who are like making a mess and doing the things and not appreciating the food that I've made. No, everybody has a part in it. We all have to Thank you so much for learning with me this week. Thank you, Alex. And I hope to all of you listeners, you should have a a good week and a Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. And uh, we look forward to learning with you again in the future. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Tune in next week as Dr. Rabbi Howard Marcos discusses Parashat Pekudeh. Thanks for listening.